Welcome to Fully Vetted Animal Care News from the Clinic to the Farm, presented by the Ohio Veterinary Medical Association. And here is your host, Mia Cunningham, and producer, Kristen Bennett. Welcome to the Fully Vetted Podcast. I am your host, Mia Cunningham. And I'm producer and sometimes co-host, Kristen Bennett. And I'm joined today by Ohio Veterinary Medical Licensing Board Executive Director, Teresa Sturr, and board member, Dr. Nancy O'Connor. Hello, ladies. Thank you for being here today. Hello. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So if you would just share a little bit about your backgrounds and involvement with the licensing board before we get started. Teresa, can we begin with you? I've been the executive director of the Ohio Veterinary Medical Licensing Board there for almost 15 years. Prior to that, I was with the Board of Nursing. I am a nurse. I'm an attorney. Both of those come into play at some point in time in dealing with the board members as well as our licensees. Um, It's a a very interesting job, and we'll say that. I bet. Thank you for sharing that. Dr. O'Connor? I am a small animal veterinarian. I think I've been on the board about six years now. And like with both volunteer duties, it started off by somebody asking if I would be willing to do it. And I have to say, I didn't know much about the licensing board other than it seemed like a scary thing to at least be communicated from them. Um, But I've enjoyed my time on the board immensely. And I'm really glad that somebody tapped me and said, you should consider doing this. So educational and interesting, and I enjoy it. Good. Well, the reason that we asked you to join us today is just to discuss some of the more common complaints the licensing board receives. But before we get into that, I I would have to imagine that it's pretty alarming when a doctor receives that notification of complaint. So can you walk us through the process of what happens when a complaint is filed? Sure, Mia. What happens is once we receive a complaint, we assign it a number. I do send a copy of the complaint to the veterinarian so they can answer appropriately. We will typically ask for the veterinarian to provide their narrative of what's happened as well as the medical records. And we, we not only just do the veterinarian that the allegations are against, but any subsequent veterinarian as well. So once they send those in, we redact the medical records of any identifying information Then it goes to the board members for them to process and um, make their discernment of the case. Is there a standard amount of time that doctors have to respond? The complaint comes in and they have approximately 21 days to reply. Dr. O'Connor, what happens when you and the other board members receive a new case? So once we get the complaint, and this is after the parties involved have turned in all their records and requests for information and so forth. We determine, first of all, if we have jurisdiction, sometimes there's complaints against non-licensees doing things like grooming places, um, humane societies, and so forth. If there's not a licensee involved, either a veterinarian or a uh, registered technician, then we don't have jurisdiction. And so if we determine that there is jurisdiction, then usually one of the following is determined, either no violation and the case is closed, or we might have questions about what's going on at the practice, so we'll ask for a compliance infection. We also might order an investigation. And lastly, we might determine that there is a violation on one or more of the parties involved, which is usually called a 119. And I think that's in the Ohio Revised Code. And then the notice will go out to the person. So you mentioned there are some areas that you do not have jurisdiction. So aside from breeders and groomers, what are the other areas where the board does not have jurisdiction? A lot of complaints will come in through people doing things like uh, floating horses' teeth that have no license at all, and whether that's practicing veterinary medicine or not, or um, 
doing chiropractic treatments on animals and they have no special licensing and so forth. Those are people that we don't have jurisdiction over. We might send an advisory letter basically saying, hey, you might want to rethink this, but we, we have no ability to, to do anything with them. We also don't have jurisdiction over fees or bedside manner or whether a veterinarian wants to write a prescription for them to obtain something from Chewy.com. Or It's all listed on our website. So we do have a list of what the board does not have jurisdiction over. So the complainant can figure out whether they want to go ahead and file a complaint or not. What happens to those situations that you don't have jurisdiction over? Do you just send those complainants on their way or do you refer them to a different board or, or what, what's that look like? Well, we just had this in the past board meeting last week or the week before. We had two cases where we referred one to the chiropractor's board and one to the board of pharmacy. So that's not uncommon. If it's more of a, a fee-related issue, like they didn't feel like they got the services that they paid for, I will give them the information for the Attorney General Consumer Complaint Division. Like Dr. O'Connor mentioned, you know, those cases where there's somebody who's, say, a groomer or a veterinary technician who's not registered, giving vaccinations or, you know, they go to rural king or tractor supply and get vaccinations and they're giving them, giving them to animals. We'll issue them an advisory letter and tell them, you know, this is the law. If we get any further complaints, this will be forwarded to the prosecutor in your area. And we have done that. So if something escalates and it's determined that, you know, a hearing is necessary, do you guys recommend that doctors have legal counsel at those hearings? I do. When I go and speak to the students at OSU, I always tell them, get your professional liability insurance. The attorneys that we typically deal with through the insurance company, they know how we operate. They already know, you know, whether they're going to have settlement terms because we're pretty, the board members are very standard in what they offer as far as settlement terms. Once a notice has been issued to them, they will provide the assistant attorney general with settlement terms, not in all cases, but in most cases, there's settlement terms already. So for instance, um, if there's medical record violation, the board members will typically offer a $250 fine for a first violation and maybe a CE course on medical records, as well as submission of 10 records quarterly for one year. That's a typical medical record violation. But then, you know, if it's a more egregious issue, say, for instance, a drug case or somebody's violated their settlement agreement, then the the terms are a little different and there might be some negotiation going on with the attorneys. Not all cases. Some of them, like I said, there's a simple medical record violation really doesn't rise to the level of needing an attorney. But in some cases with standard of care issues, there might be the need for them to obtain an attorney. Do complaints and subsequent violations become public record? So the violations are public record, but because now medical records are considered confidential under the Ohio Board of Pharmacy law, we don't typically send out any of the complaints for that very reason, because anything that mentions uh, medications being administered is considered confidential. What are options for appeal? So if I'm a doctor that comes in, I don't agree with the findings, what recourse do I have to appeal a decision? First of all, there's a lot of discussion going back and forth um, prior to that. But if they want to appeal, then that goes to the Court of Appeals. It would be out of our hands at that point. Over the last year, what are some of the more common complaints that the licensing board has received? 
Well, I would, I'd say, especially in the past year, it seems like a lot of the complaints do center around bedside manner, either by the staff or the veterinarian. I think that has been complicated by COVID and the protocols in place and so forth. And a, a lot of people maybe are a little more stressed, a little more anxious, and so they're not intolerant or forgiving, maybe. Also, I think some of the other things that we'll see fairly regularly are um, complaints about maybe like sending animals home too soon after surgery. Maybe the animal's still groggy. The people don't know how to handle them when they get home and maybe not thorough instructions sent home. And as far as COVID-19 protocols, I think that it's definitely affected clients' comfort and perception of what's happening at their veterinary office. You know, um, most people obviously aren't and maybe still aren't, weren't and probably still aren't letting clients inside the practices. So right away, there, there's a, a level of stress there that wasn't there prior. So I think poor communication, whether perceived or real, has increased the number of complaints that we've received during this past year based on that because of the separation of the client from the animal and not understanding what's happening inside the clinic. So as I understand, you, you guys are not in the role of advising people. That's just not the capacity of what you do. So you can't advise doctors on how to manage some of these complaints. Is that a true statement? No, people can write in, say they have a question about something outside of what concrete in the law and rule, you know, it's kind of in that gray area, like an experimental drug. They want to be in a pilot project for one of the universities. And was that acceptable? And they'll, they'll write into the board members and the board members will then respond and give them their opinion. But yeah, we, they do, they do often give. Okay. That's good to know. So moving on, as I understand, the licensing board is a member of the American Association of Veterinary State Boards. Are there similarities of you know what you're seeing with your colleagues to what we're experiencing here in Ohio? Absolutely. For the most part, all our complaints are similar to every other jurisdictions. Um, some states, because of the there might be a variation in their like their marijuana prescribing laws. Some states are seeing more of the complaints with that. Whereas we don't really have that in Ohio because it's not in our law or not acceptable for veterinarians anyway. So those kind of issues we haven't had to deal with yet. So Dr. O'Connor, can you talk to me a little bit about your experience on the board and what it's taught you over the last six years? I actually have learned a lot from other people's mistakes. And I think anybody who has served on the board would say the same thing, that we see what, what violations occur um, things that honestly, prior to being on the board, I might not have been aware of myself and I might have been called before the board if, if just the right amount of things happened. I would say it seems to me the vast majority are medical records violations. So maybe not a standard of care. Maybe it's not always that um, the pet did well or didn't do well. I mean, we could have a case where the pet died and the owner's upset, obviously, but there's no violation with what the veterinarian did with that case. But there might be a violation because they didn't record their anesthetic monitoring. They didn't have a surgery report, routes of administration for drugs being prescribed and given at the clinic and so forth. So sometimes it's those kind of things that get you caught. But definitely I've become a better medical records keeper. And I think anybody who's been on the board would say that. And things that we learn from others, we'll take back to our clinics. And uh, sometimes our staff kind of hate it after a board meeting because you come back and go, all right, we got to start doing this different and we got to make sure we're doing this. And they think you're kind of nuts. And then you give them an example of, hey, we could be called before the board if we're not doing these things. And I've seen it happen. So this podcast isn't a plug to serve on the licensing board, but it definitely, I think, makes you practice better and a little bit of a higher standard reminds you of what you're supposed to be doing. 
I've learned a ton and I've hopefully benefited from it. And I, I know my practice and my medical records have. That's wonderful. Would you be able to share one of the more outrageous complaints that you've heard or seen come before you? A couple that stick in my mind. One that, <laughs> that we, I think we all found kind of outrageous was a case of cats being taken in for dental radiographs and full dental procedures. The veterinarian's x-ray machine was broken. So they did not perform the dentals because they couldn't do it up to their standards. And the owner was mad enough to file a complaint. The basis was it was inhumane that they had to fast the cats the night before, take time off and get the cats into the clinic, and then found out an hour or two later that the procedures couldn't be performed. So they were upset that their cats had to endure all that and that the veterinarian should have just gone ahead and done the procedure without the x-rays. So that was, to me, kind of outrageous that the veterinarian was doing the very best they could for those patients, and instead they ended up being sent before the board. No violation, but still very stressful for the veterinarian. Another one was uh, several complaints have come in because of people that show up at the clinic late. Maybe they have an appointment or they don't. For whatever reason, they show up late and the clinic is either closed or closing. And if they're closing and then they tell the client, well, we're closing, you're going to have to go to ER hospital. Those people have been very upset and filed a complaint, uh, basically alleging that the office should have stayed open for them and should have taken care of them no matter what. No sense of entitlement there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Some outrageous things are, you know, kind of make you giggle or make you want to scream. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, thank you, ladies, both. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And I thank you for your time. Thank you for this opportunity. It's nice to get the word out there, especially since we didn't go to the Midwest conference this year. Yeah, Yeah, we were hoping to fill a little gap this way. So So I'm glad it worked out and you all were able to join us. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Mia. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you. Absolutely. You guys have a good afternoon. You too. too. Bye-bye. Coming up next, we sit down with OVMA Board of Directors Student Representative Haley Bryan. Earlier this spring, we welcomed a few new members to the OVMA Board of Directors, so we're resuming our Meet the Board segment as a way to introduce you to the individuals you elected to represent you. Today, I'm joined by Haley Bryan, who is the OVMA Student Representative for the Class of 2023. She serves as the Student Liaison to the Board of Directors. Welcome to the show, Haley. Thanks for taking a few minutes. I know you're busy with, you know, studenting and whatnot. Yeah, finals are quickly approaching. I'm kind of still in denial, (laughs) but it's fine. It'll be okay. Well, I won't take up too much of your time. We just wanted to introduce you to our listeners, particularly any students who might be listening, so they know who you are. Sorry, my dog is the background. I need to tell him to stop. Relax, dude. He's outside, so he shouldn't be barking, but... Well, that's okay. I mean, I think we're used to having dogs and other animals in the background. Right. (laughs) How many dogs do you have? What kind? I just have one dog, German Shepherd. He's going to be two in the end of May. So still in that puppy phase where I'm like, okay, relax, dude. Like can't play all the time. But why not? Why not, mom? I (laughs) I just want to play ball all the time. He would play ball. We have a huge backyard. So like he's out there right now in our fenced in backyard. I don't have to worry about him. But if I was out there, I'd be throwing the ball and throwing the ball and throwing the ball. I'm like, oh my goodness. Right. He doesn't stop. If I recall correctly, you went to Finley for undergrad? 
I did. Yes. The University of Finley. Mm-hmm. I played softball there and then was in the pre-vet animal science program as well. Did you grow up in Columbus area? Yeah. So born and raised in Columbus. My parents lived like 10 minutes away, which is really nice. Do you plan on staying in Ohio after you graduate? Yeah. Awesome sauce. We like to hear that. <laughs> yeah. So my um, boyfriend and I own a home in Columbus. So that's nice. And I'm like, I plan on staying here after graduation. So it kind of made sense because Columbus rent is pretty pricey. So I was like, might as well buy a house and be paying less for our mortgage than our rent payment. Yeah. Do you know what you're planning on going into? What, what area of practice? After veterinary school, I plan on doing small animal. Um, that's kind of the plan at this time. I don't know. That could change. Like I like, I have interests in like nutrition. I really liked my nutrition lectures this past semester. And so I'm going to take a elective coming up in small animal nutrition, but I think I will stay with small animals over large animals. I got a lot of large animal experience at Finley, but then I realized that pigs aren't my favorite species. (laughs) If I could see large animal without pigs, that'd be cool. But you clean the farrowing room and then you smell like pig for three days after, no matter how many showers you take. So I'm thinking small animal GP at this time, but still have two more years. So that could change. And I think I saw somewhere that you're working at VCA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I work at VCA Mill Run Animal Hospital here in town. It's a lot of OVMA members that work there as well as um, all, basically all Ohio State grads. We have, it's a pretty high volume clinic. Mm-hmm. So we see anything that doesn't go to OSU or MedVet on the weekends. We're the next emergency clinic that's open. So we see a lot of crazy things. That's good. You get to see a little bit of everything. Right. So they have a very good mentorship program. I was actually able to perform full mouth extraction dental yesterday. Wow. So that was cool. I was able to use the um, drill and burr the teeth and all those things, as well as um, the week before I was able to do a full cat spay on my own. I mean, I was being watched by the veterinarian, obviously, but um, it was kind of cool because I got in there and the ovaries were cystic. And I was like, this is the first time I've ever auto-ligated the ovarian artery. We'll see how this goes. And she's like, yeah, well, if you burst that, it's everywhere in the abdomen. Like that's a cyst. And I was like, this is great, but I did well and the cat's doing well. So happy about that. Wow. No pressure, right? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Low pressure. And then I, I find the horns and I'm like, oh, we have cystic ovaries. So (laughs) the pressure goes up, but it's fine. I perform well under pressure. So that's a good quality to have as a future veterinarian. (laughs) Yeah. As an OVMA student representative, part of your job is to be an ambassador and a liaison between OVMA and your class. With the pandemic, though, it's been more difficult. You know, we haven't been able to spend as much time at the college, so some of your classmates might not know what we're all about. For any students who might be listening, can you tell us why you're a member? OVMA is really great, and it's helped me a lot with networking and getting to know people throughout the community. Like I said, I plan on practicing in Ohio after veterinary school. So it's nice to kind of know names of doctors that are around because you never know when you're going to have a question about something or want to network further with veterinarians, as well as the aspect for being a student voice. Like I like that about the representative position. And I think that's nice. Even if you aren't the representative, you can reach out to your VMA if you have a concern or a question or just need more information about something. They're a great resource. Everybody's really nice in the OVMA. Why, thank you. For students who don't know that yet, or maybe want to learn more about OVMA and get more involved, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, well, I would say definitely to reach out to one of the representatives. Um, I remember when I was getting interested, I talked to Emma a lot, who's a 2022 rep. We're super easy to talk to. You absolutely are. And we'll add their names and contact information in the show notes so students know how to get in touch with you. 
so we post on social media quite a bit. So even messaging us directly, but I think that'd be a good starting point. I know school takes up a lot of your time, but outside of school and in veterinary medicine in general, Mm -hmm. what are you passionate about? So I'm definitely passionate about staying active and working out at Finley. Like I said, I was a collegiate athlete. Um, I played on the softball team there. I am a member of like a co-ed softball team locally in town. Um, So that's really fun. It's a mixture of some older people that graduated from the same high school as I did. And then some people that also just graduated and alumni and colleagues of mine that I had in school. So it's kind of cool to get together and be able to still stay active that way. I also go to Orange Theory like almost every day. I recently just found Orange Theory and that's been great for me because it's a way to eliminate my stresses and kind of just get a whole hour just to myself. As much as running on the treadmill sometimes sucks, they make it fun, as fun as it can be. But um, yeah, so I like working out, staying active. I really like nature. Um, My family and I own a boat, so we go to Indian Lake pretty frequently and ride on the boat and just being outside my family and my my dog, of course. (laughs) It is really what I'm passionate about. And on that note, I'm going to let you go enjoy the outdoors with your dog. Thanks for taking a few minutes to chat with us. Have a good rest of your day. Yeah, you're welcome. You too. Bye. Take care. That does it for today's episode. Special thanks again to Teresa Stur and Dr. Nancy O'Connor, as well as Haley Bryan. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to tune in in two weeks for the next episode. As always, please visit us at fullyvettedpodcast.com for show notes and to provide listener feedback. Until next time, stay safe and be well. The Ohio Veterinary Medical Association is always seeking ways to enrich your member experience. To access resources mentioned in this episode, share your feedback and suggestions, and send us an email or voice message, please visit www.fullyvettedpodcast.com. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen so you never miss an episode. I'm Kristen Bennett, and on behalf of the OVMA, thanks for listening to Fully Vetted. We'll see you next time.